This episode of Nerd Cognito is brought to you by Armor Class 10. That's Armor Class and the number 10.com. What does AC10 have that you need to pick up? Some awesome and amazing shirts that are custom tailored for our end of the hobby. My personal favorite, Bards Suck. Bert, you I know you have one that you love. Life is short. Multi-class. Kyle, what are you what are you buying? I love the uh, I survived White Plume Mountain shirt. That's really nice. Go to Armor Class 10. That's Armor Class and the number 10.com and check out the shirts that they have. They have a ton of different stuff that range from all the things that we love magic the gathering wargaming dungeons and dragons tabletop role-playing it's all really quality stuff and they're quality shirts i gotta tell you they are very very nice uh check it out now and their normal flat rate 5.99 shipping can be free that's right free just use the coupon code nerdcognito hey imagine that nerdcognito gets you free shipping at armor class 10 you're going to pick up something that's great will be an awesome conversation piece and all of the other nerds at the table will be jealous of coupon code nerdcognito at armor class the number 10.com armor class 10.com Happy to have them on board as a sponsor for the show. They support us. You support them. Now, on with the show. Hey, 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 everybody. It is I, Ryan David, and welcome to this week's episode of Nerd Cognito. <laughs> There's a lot of interesting things going on, and our show is not going to be an exception. We're going to talk about the big news of the week, plus we have a spectacular guest. We're going to talk about that later, but I have to bring in my partners in crime. Hey, Berts, how's your week going? Going good, Brian. How's yours? Oh, pretty good. I'm fighting off. I don't know if you can hear it. I'm, I'm hiding it really well, but I'm fighting off the evil voice destruction bacteria something or other in my throat <laughs> this past again? weekend yeah again this past weekend on the speak i was in rough shape and kyle my friend can attest to that hey kyle what's going on hey how are you uh, about the same about the same yeah. but uh yeah. i'm i'm looking forward to this week's show uh, i wish my voice was at a hundred percent but what is at a hundred percent is wizard shenanigans we're going to open up with that and and the big question is is it a wizard shenanigan uh, there's some major news about the hardcover distribution Bert's. you know my tinfoil hats <laughs> might <laughs> might have just been accurate one more time uh penguin random house has severed their connection with wizards of the coast for distribution of books. Uh, we'll talk about that. We, of course, have the news. And on the flip side of the news, we have Alexander McCreese. Yeah, of Axe fame. Of Adventure Axe fame. Conqueror That's King. right. That's right. And we're go. not even going to, you know, encourage you to get an extra five reps in with this one. Now, Alex <laughs> is an awesome, awesome game designer. If you don't know about Axe, yeah, you're missing out, my friends. Adventure Conqueror King System are the words that make up the acronym, but truly, Axe expands and deepens your AD&D experience to a whole other level. Bro, now, I, I, I joke <laughs> about the bros because they have, you know, swung their full support behind Axe. Even that being said... It's a great system, Bert. I know you had a chance to look at it for the first time this week. I did. I did. I found it really interesting. Although, you know, when, when you're talking about swinging axes, that's never a, a good thing, Ryan. <laughs> well, let's save that but, uh, for the second half of the show, okay? <laughs> uh, because the man, the legend, Alex McCreese, is with us, and uh, we're going to let him do all of the talking. It's his system. He knows best. But the big bombshell this week was the Penguin Random House deal. Mm -hmm. Kyle, sum it up for Bert, because I know Bert may not have seen this one, being that, you know, he lives in a hut somewhere in an undisclosed <laughs> location off the grid. In a bunker. Bert, you're in a bunker. 
<laughs> so, so, so the deal is, Bert. Here, uh, mm -hmm. just to kind of give you the essence of it, uh, Wizards of the Coast, Watsy, put out an right. announcement and said that they will be severing ties with Penguin Random House Distribution. Uh, this is, you know, Penguin is the primary distributor of all their physical books, um, pretty much worldwide, is my understanding. Although I don't know that for sure. There are but some other distributors. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna chime in there, but no one is doing the mega distribution. This could impact significantly Amazon. It could significantly impact Target mainstream market, as well as put a big dent in a lot of the FLGSs that have those tiny mom and pop deals with Penguin. So. I think that it is a conservative estimate, but just a guess because they're not going to release those numbers, that this is easily 40 to 50% of the hardcover market share and distribution for Wizards. So it is a big, big deal. Yeah, and the, and the big fear amongst the people that are talking about it on different social media sites is that, oh my God, they're getting rid of physical books. Not entirely true. Um, they have, there are other distributors like Ryan said, but, um, but this is certainly, uh, it's the a first big chunk step. of it. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, this is, this is, this is their, you know, it's kind of their flagship distributor. So, uh, the, the question really becomes who severed ties with who, uh, Watsy put the statement out. Um, in my personal opinion, it's more like damage control. So, yeah, I mean, thinking about it, um, you know, we've had a bunch of signs that Wizards wants to move away from physical media like books. I mean, there uh -huh. was, you know, one the one D and D movement and things like that that kind of got us thinking that way. Then, you know, their books, their last few supplements have not sold well. So I can see, you know, a national distributor or an international distributor not wanting to, you know, right. risk it because I mean, if you put out you know, a hundred thousand books and 20,000 of them sell, then you've got 80, you know, 80, you, you've 80, got 80, 80% 80 of it. You have to eat pretty much. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the, and the distributor eats that typically in most, in most contractual agreements, the distributor eats that. Yeah. The, not Watsy. the distributor, we're going to see books show up in places. You would not expect to see dungeons and dragons books. You're going to see them, uh, in probably cutout fashion, you know, where they notched the edge of the book at flea markets, at used bookstores. Uh, you're going to probably see them pop up at discount liquidators like Ollie's or Big Lots. This is not a good look for Wizards for their product to show up there, first of all, because their whole pitch with the lifestyle brand is that it's a premium lifestyle brand. And. Uh, when I think big lots, I don't think premium. Uh, <laughs> on top of that, we have the, the issue of this does further or accelerate what I believe is the wizard's agenda to just ditch physical entirely. And the people that it's going to cut out first are going to be the mom and pop friendly local gaming right. stores. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and it speaks to something that happened uh, a few weeks ago or maybe a few months ago, I forget, but it was, it was between now and the OGL when we saw that there were huge, huge deep discounts on Amazon of five eBooks cheaper than what most of your independent local gaming stores could, could purchase these books. Right. At. I know some friendly local gaming stores that were purchasing inventory from Amazon they were so right. cheap. Yeah. And, and, you know, it, it, it kind of corroborates our theory at that time, uh, that they were just dumping inventory. They were trying to move the books. They're just trying to get rid of them so that the distributor doesn't have to eat them. They would rather take a loss on the front end than on the back end because, you know, it, it's cut it's cost effectiveness and it's, you know, taking losses where you where uh, or you can't, at least you're getting something for them, right? Instead of nothing. Right. Right. Because what the, what the reseller or the retailer 
has is whatever their inventory is, they're on the hook for that inventory. Right. But they can certainly stop the bleeding by deeply discounting that stuff and not ordering more. And I'm curious right. um, if, if one of you guys wants to go and pull up what a PHB on Amazon is right now. This will tell oh, the God. tale as to if they have cleared their back inventory or not. Has anybody got it? Uh, normally forty nine ninety five, currently twenty six ten. So it has plateaued at that low level. That tells me that Amazon has not had a need to reorder that book because that's right around where it is. And we know Amazon metric pricing is weird. There's always that fluctuation. But I believe it was around that $25 mark when things were at the all-time low. It's interesting, and all we can do is speculate. We're never going to know what really happened short of some sort of grandiose leak or someone talking to the press and i'll tell you what they're not lighting up the nerd cognito hotline to talk to us about it so uh i guess we have two avenues to to look at was the decision wizards or was the decision penguin and i skew towards the decision was penguin yeah rpg uh, pundit would agree with you on that yeah and it's just penguin is taking a beating with buybacks and returns and they don't need to do that now yeah if it was wizards then it's a little more nefarious right because then it's wizards moving their plan in action for one dmd or whatever the fuck it is now i i can't mm-hmm. i can't use the cool echo effect anymore because they said <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore uh, but i think regardless it's going to have the same effect whether Wizards intentionally did this or where, or whether Wizards' hand was forced in this action, it's just accelerating their timeline. It's going to push all of our glittery friends onto their virtual tabletop. Uh, and, uh, hey, whatever. I was joking around with our dear friend, Dungeon Delver, uh, this morning because one of the ladies on the Nerd Cognito Twitter posted a story about how Wizards is now expanding their base building in 5E. And I said this with air quotes, uh, base building. And I said to Delver, this is pretty much just going to be Dungeons & Dragons version of The Sims, right? (laughs) That's how these motherfuckers are going to play. Oh, that hurts. Oh, Oh, fuck you, Sparkle Jules. Let, let me let me throw a little little gas on this fire of a conversation. Did you hear? And this is very very recent. I don't think maybe you've heard this. Troll and Toad, the online card gaming store, is no longer going to be carrying Magic the Gathering. I did see that. I did. Could this be a distribution thing that's going to be going as well? It's another Watsy product. It is another Watsy product, but here's and the thing. I think it's a different animal with magic because I think magic has priced itself out of the average user, right? Okay. They are exclusively targeting their whales, and that is the last bleed that they're going to be able to get before magic might actually go bye-bye. Plus, on the card end of things, I know we don't have a ton of card gamers, but on the card ge- end of things, Disney's Lorcana is doing massive numbers right now. Huh. So this yeah. could be the beginning of the swan song for magic. Yeah, I don't know. All I see is you've got you've got two of Watsies of basically their two main properties. And it's people are running for life rafts off the Titanic here. <laughs> that's what it that's what it looks like, right? Well, Captain Kyle doesn't seem to have a problem with that. He's saying, but those freaking orcs are black people. <laughs> so, oh, guys. All right. I yeah, mean, for the audience, different Kyle. No, no relation. <laughs> I, it, it is true. I, I, I've got to specify <laughs> that it's Captain Kyle Brink. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it almost seems like Wizards is starting to become a liability for Hasbro. That's uh, my tinfoil hat's coming back out. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Hasbro wants the value of these IPs to go down 
they can't sell Dungeons and Dragons right now because legitimately it's too expensive. No one is going to pay what the property is legitimately worth because of its history based on its current performance. So you hire these knuckleheads and you bring in the Ginny D's of the world to make it a joke, to make it a parody of itself and bring down Ooh. its high Q. When that value comes down, Hasbro could ditch it. Now, Kyle, you had an interesting theory the other yeah. day on the speak, which is Hasbro doesn't typically ditch properties, which I did some research on. It's generally true. They, they have a very short yeah. list of things that they have dumped. Yes. Historically, they typically don't dump properties. If, if something gets to the point where they're not making money on it, they shelve it, they hold on to the IP and then they'll re-release it in the future. That's their, that's their more, more often than not, that's the, uh, approach they take. But I still worry if you shelve something like Dungeons and Dragons and don't have recurring regular income, is that really going to be a viable strategy for them? Well, I mean, they don't have, they don't have income now, right? You know what they do sell 11,000 copies of radiant citadel i mean they're not making money <laughs> off this shit. so i mean it's true. It's, i mean you 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 know i i think looking at it from a business point of view none of the decisions they've made within the last five years make a whole lot of sense right so yeah, i don't I know mean, why this would be any different i mean not that I, I agree with you ryan i don't think that they're making it a parody but i think that they're following popular trends which may not be getting them where they want to be with you know a classic fan base like dungeons and dragons well that's because well, the they them fan base that they're targeting doesn't buy anything we've had this conversation before too i don't want to be a broken record this week but this is just par for the course and does it surprise me no but all of the talking points are still aligned they're still the same right right and that's what is the most confusing because, man, if I ran my business the way they run their business, I would be out of business. Yeah. Well, and regardless of how you look at it, I think that whether it's the card game or, or uh, D&D 5e, all of this is moving them towards the digital experience, the VTT for 5e, you know, who knows what with the cards, probably some sort of tabletop sim simulator kind of thing oh um, honey my pet beholder went out and brought you your newspaper <laughs> isn't that so cute and funny look look this guy this guy oh wait he has a vagina oh he wants to play let's go larp all on the digital tabletop yeah yeah but that, i mean that's that's certainly it it certainly helps foster that end, however you want to look at it. And we won't really know until it happens. So, Right. Yeah, this is all speculation. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Look, I worked vagina in two shows in a row. Right. <laughs> oh. Well, what's gaping in the news this week? <laughs> Ryan, oh, come on. It's all right. It's all funny. right. It was funny, Bert. It was a good transition. Yeah. It just keeps people nice. moist with anticipation. Yeah. Nice segue. Uh, Open things right up. <laughs> hey. Arg. It's a party. What's Bert. in the news, Ryan? It's a party. You should be coming. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan, news? Do we have any? Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, start out with some tech news to get me back on track <laughs> this week in tech something that i think and and people might say ryan this is a snore but i think this is brilliant was released and it's called i'm back film i'm back film is a digital canister of film 35 millimeter size that has a 20 megapixel film sensor that you load into a traditional film camera. 
So if you are an old photography hag like me that has a beloved K1000 sitting in a drawer somewhere, you can buy this piece of tech, load it in like a traditional canister of film, and take digital photographs with your vintage hardware. Really? Are they, that, I mean, that's a great idea. Are they planning to do it with other camera types? Because I know some people who collect old cameras, and it would be great to be able to use them like functionality. Right now, they're, they're specifically targeting full-frame 35-millimeter cameras. Okay. The sensor is nothing to sniff at. It's a 20-megapixel Sony sensor that is capable of capturing full 4K 60-frame-per-second video as well as RAW and JPEG stills. This is cool. This is that really, is kinda, really cool. Yeah, if you're into that sort of thing, that is a, that's really, really, really nice. I loved, loved, loved my 35-millimeter film days, and as much as I embrace digital for most things, except for one D&D, um, I was really, really sad to have to shelve all of that hardware. Well, maybe I can pull it back out. I mean, my wife <laughs> took photography in high school, had this old 35-millimeter camera that she loves. To be able to revitalize something like that with this sensor... I mean, it's a great way to like mix tech and nostalgia. Yeah. No, I think, I think it is. It's a very niche product. Um, I didn't see a price point on it, but I would imagine it's two, 300 bucks. Um, maybe I should look, I'm going to, I'm going to look. Yeah. Well, I can see myself good... buying this stupid thing. He said, pull it back out. <laughs> uh, the I'm back film cartridge is set to be an upcoming crowdfunding project that does not have any pricing released, at least that I can see. So, mm. okay. Uh, am I going to back it as a Kickstarter? No. When it goes to mass production, I will back it, even if I have to pay more. Yeah. I don't want, you know, Bob making this thing in his garage. <laughs> anyway, I thought that that was very cool. I, I totally hear what you're saying, Bert. You know, I have some full frame like 55 millimeter stuff that would right. be awesome. And it would be the same principle, right? There's no reason it couldn't be made. I think the big reason 35 millimeter was targeted was just because that's where you're going to sell the most. So, right. I mean, there's a ton of it out there, but imagine if you could put the sensor in, you know, a Browning starlight and take it out and use it. That it would be very, very cool, but yeah. The lenses, particularly on the brownies, <laughs> they they fog a lot with age. See, uh, we're, we're losing people because I'm going into my old photography days where it was me yeah. and, oh, my goodness, Parker. Oh, Kyle. Parker and I ran the darkroom in my high school, and she oh, was spectacular. The things we did with <laughs> Dectol and enlargers. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah, she always, they always look better in the dark, dude. Well, you know, that possibly is true. But <laughs> like I always say, a slutty seven is way hotter than a prudish nine. Nine, yeah. <laughs> and Parker was definitely a slutty seven. Uh, okay. <laughs> Preaching to the choir. Back to uh, the news. We talked about the sequel which is a prequel to one of our favorite john carpenter films which is the thing and yep. we know yep. that fx originally bankrolled a prequel sequel to the 2011 remake of the thing if you follow that logic <laughs> <laughs> well it's now been a great many years and it is on the scrap heap. We are not going to get a prequel sequel of the remake. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> um, I didn't think the remake was horrible. Did you guys see the 2011 thing? I did. With with Beckinsale? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, well, you know what? I started watching it, and it was like 15 minutes, and I stopped. And it, it turns out that that was actually a prequel, right? Right. 
Yeah, I mean, it's 2000, uh, 2011 film. I don't think, I don't know if I need to give a spoiler alert. Or I don't not. think, I don't think you need to now. Yeah, but I mean, that was, that was the Norwegian camp. Right. That right. she was in, and then the dog gets away, and so it leads into the original film. So, anyway. Well, uh, FX, although they never funded it, they've now publicly said, you know, we probably should have. It could have had some legs. Uh, I'm glad it didn't get funded. <laughs> let's let In the let's, current state of Hollywood, yeah, I'm yeah. kind of glad. I just kind of want them to leave some things alone. All right, guys. We're going to have to stretch for this one. Hmm. You are playing fifth edition and I have, yeah, no, I I'm have not. too. I have, it's, it's the functionally, it's a fine system, right? Or let's, let's say functionally when it was released, it was a fine system. There you go. <laughs> okay. There you go. But now you are caught up in an argument with your table. So the androgynous Pat and the skittle-haired sparkle troll are in an argument, and you have to mediate this argument. They've been fighting amongst themselves this week, boys. And they've been fighting about what's better, martial classes or spellcasting? And there are two definitive sparkle troll camps, and I see this as a glimmer of hope. You do? Yes. They're going at it in true Sparkle Troll vicious fashion. Really? But they're going at it about the mechanics and playing their character. They're not going at it about politics. They're not going about it because this race represents this real world person. Right. They're not rewriting lore. They're not taking their potato paladin and saying that she made a deck of many things. <laughs> They're having an honest-to-God lunch table conversation about whether martial characters or arcane characters are the better characters to play. We've had this conversation uh, when we were 12. Now, we were 12 when we had it, right? So, yeah. But it's still a glimmer of hope. Am I, am I projecting too much optimism here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Short I mean, answer, the, uh, yeah. I mean, that argument has been going on from new players to the for new players to the hobby as long as the hobby has existed. Yeah, but now they them are having that argument. This is a yeah. sign. I don't know. Is it is it trouble in Utopia? You think? I don't know. But, yeah, but I, I doubt it. Leave it to the sparkles to come up with the ultimate non-solution no i think we should just mix the table and have half casters well i mean that's essentially what you got now i mean if you look at 5e i mean everybody's got some sort of ability that's either it's either magic or a magical like ability right right everybody's got some sort of special superpower that they can do oh my god look at me i can do this i can do that i i'd like to rage you know, okay. You know, what the hell? You know, my mom drank when she was pregnant. <laughs> I mean, that's my special ability. I'm on the spectrum. <laughs> no, but look at it top to bottom. If I could just go through and list classes barbarian, spell like abilities, fighter, spell like abilities, yeah, monk, spell like abilities, paladin, spells. Druids, spells, yeah. warlocks, spells, sorcerers, spells, wizards, spells. Who am I missing? Well, nobody rogues. And, and they rogues they've got stuff too Ranger? You know, uncanny dodge i want to use uncanny dodge okay, bards so, bards oh, bards suck play my skin flutes <laughs> hey i think bards are great support characters i've played several bards none of them were horny bards but all of them were functional bards and you were a wow. master of your instrument <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh we could because we care bert it is true it <laughs> is true we have a great love for you bert uh you know we also had a great love for our last news story when we first heard about it pet cemetery bloodlines oh yeah we talked about this a while ago we did mm -hmm. 
it looked like a great premise at the time. Right. We were hopeful. The we were story hopeful. of Judd, a young man trying to get out of the middle of nowhere main town with his girlfriend that kept getting right pulled on. back in because of the deep, dark secrets that the cemetery holds. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, a period piece set in the 60s. Well, uh, it's it's available now, right? And uh, Stephen King's small town horror, Stephen King's small town horror, quote, gets a completely made but thoroughly unnecessary new chapter, an easily skippable Halloween time waster. Uh-huh. Not Ooh, a good that's... review. And this review is from The Guardian. So you know where their bent is, review. right? Um, <sighs> Bloodlines think... supposedly feels like a dusty remnant of the past, according to them. Uh, they linked it to the 2019 remake of Pet Cemetery, mistake number one, that we were concerned about. As opposed to the 1989 Pet Cemetery, which, as far as a B horror movie goes, was pretty decent, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it had some great scares. It did. First, I played with Mommy. Then I played with Mr. Crandall. Now I want to play with you. Gage <laughs> was awesome was in the original one. <laughs> that was creepy. It was creepy. Denise Crosby. Eh. I, I never, I never was into Denise Crosby. What do you guys think? No, not so much. Right? She always had like, I don't know. Maybe it was the lesbian haircut. Yeah. But maybe she, she, she just never tickled my taint. Anyway, <laughs> in a very stuffed, spooky season, the Paramount Plus streamer might be a pass for everybody. Of course, we uh, were concerned with the current state of Hollywood, but. They talk about colonialism and imperialism and then bring in the Vietnam War. And uh, I don't need preach to in my horror movie. I just want to be freaked out. Yeah. Well, I mean, in a period piece set in that time frame, you'd expect to see references to the Vietnam War and some conflict set in, if it's set in the 60s. I mean, you couldn't avoid that. No, I, I would absolutely agree with you. You're right, Bert, but that's because you're a normal sane person. You're not going to talk about how those things provided, quote, inherited trauma and political callousness tossed aside. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think and I think you actually could make that movie and, and divorce most of that from it. Because, you know, it's a, it's a small town in Maine. I mean, you don't have to. There's no need to dig into any of that. I mean, everybody knows what happened in the 60s, right? Well, not everybody, mm-hmm. I guess. No. Remember, no. if it happened before 2016, it didn't happen. Oh, wait, that was right. the other Kyle. <laughs> that was the other Kyle. That was the evil Kyle. Anyway, uh, another disappointment. Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Uh, like I said, I'll probably watch it. But I don't know that I'm going to put it on my Halloween rotation. And that, my friends, that's the news. So in true fashion, screwing me and my hopes and dreams, it looks like (laughs) Pet Cemetery's sequel is not going to be. I'm still going to watch it, right? It's what? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, with the reviews that bad, I don't know if I'm going to check it out or not. I was so, like hurt by when they did the hellraiser remake that ah. i'm like kind of twice burned at this point it had it just it had so much promise and judd was such a good character to focus on oh uh, well uh let's let's move on to greener pastures we we have a guest this week um and this guest is someone that i think just about everyone in our end of the hobby knows and he is the designer of Adventure Conqueror King System. Axe! Alexander McCreese, welcome to Nerd Cognito. Hey, thanks for having me. No, we're, we're pleased to have you. You know, it's funny because I originally reached out to you because we were going to talk about just the longevity 
of long running systems and how they, you know, evolve and how their player base changes over years. And, you know, Axe is running on 10 years now. It's 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 a granddaddy by by the the standards of current systems. And I said, you know, I think Alex would be great to have on just to talk about his perspective and how he's seen his system go through, you know, the infancy and the adoption stage and now what it is. And you said, no, I've got Axe 2 coming out soon on Kickstarter, October right. 24th, by the way. Uh, Nerd Cognito Nation, please mark your calendars. Uh, uh, so you you said, sure, I'll be happy to come on. So we're, we're thrilled to have you on. So welcome aboard <laughs> awesome glad to be here it, it's interesting there's so many things that we could talk about right now um but i want to start out and talk about what what we originally wanted to you know we've seen systems change over the years and axe we were talking before we went on the air is is older than the current iteration of dungeons and dragons even yep first of all congratulations right that's that's a testament to just how solid of a system it is and have you seen like evolution through the folks that have adopted it and the folks that have played it? And yes, if you're listening and wondering, I'm going to ask about a segment of the folks that have adopted it later on. But what has been your experience as Axe first released and is now aged and aged very well and is seeing a lot of, of adoption at tables? Yeah, so... When I first launched uh, Axe, it was actually very near the beginning of the old school renaissance. Um, you know, it was one of the earlier of the retro clones. And, you know, our premise was that um, it looked to us like people were neglecting uh, high-end play and the final domain endgame that OD&D and AD&D had been characterized by and that BECMI expanded into. Um, and, you know, as it turned out, that prediction was correct, right? Like since then, we've seen the whole development of like this mud core movement where people are only ever playing, you know, levels one to three. Um, it's a so, core. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah. we, we made fun of the cores last week on this show. Uh, so okay. I, I, okay, everything's yeah. a core right now. So. Everything, everything's a core. That's right. So um, what I think has really driven the, the game's success over the years is that it actually probably took two to three years before people had the rules long enough to say, I've run a long-term campaign and now I can actually testify like, holy wow, this works all the way through, or we've actually gotten to the level where we're doing mass combat and it beautifully integrates, et cetera. And um, so now I've got a community that has dozens of game masters that have run you know, 50, 70, 120 sessions of acts. They can talk about um, you know, how the world building works, how the mass combat works. And so that in turn has let me get feedback on the design, which I've been slowly iterating um, in my monthly Axioms articles. And um, so now uh, 10 years of playtesting, you know, ready to roll out uh, Axe 2. Right. And that's that's really critical. So much good stuff comes out of playtesting. I'm working on a project and the amount of thought that I put into it is just dwarfed by what actually comes out at the different tables. And I only have like yep. 10 months in. You've got 10 years in. Um, yeah. You talked about the bread and butter, which is really the high level domain play sort of mass things. Kyle, I know you were really keying in on this um, yes. because it's something that does often get neglected. Give me your thoughts, Kyle. Well, it, it gets neglected by the OSR a lot, or at least up until recently it has. It was one of the first OSR systems I ever bought. That was one of the things I liked about it was the granularity. Um, you know, we all remember uh, the old AD&D rule book and, and Gary's right in there and it's, you know, it's convoluted and he's using his talks about economies. You know, there's a section about economy and the Dungeon Master's Guide and stuff. Axe really digs into that and gives you like a workable system to implement economies into your game. You know, that's just one example. Uh, it's it's probably the most powerful strength of the of, of the uh, of the game, I would say. Right, and so many people just don't realize how it evolves from you playing a character to you really being a part of a world, right? That's right, that's right. how I look at it when, when it's there. Yeah. Um, Bert, I, I can't even think of the last time, I, I guess it was two or three years ago with our big, big session where we even were able to tiptoe into that world. And unfortunately, the system we were running just 
wasn't equipped like Axe is to support right. that sort of play. Uh, what do you think? Are we gonna are we gonna build I mean, our kingdom here? <laughs> I mean, the the thing that I love about it is, um, like, not only do you have like that economy and that world building, but it's clear from like the character progression where you fit in it. It tells you, you know, at this level, apprentices will start to follow you. You'll start right. to have this many people. Like, so you've got like to think about, you know staff and supporting your apprentices and things like that and so it adds a whole new dimension to your character beyond just what's the adventure over the next hill right and right. what i love right. about it is it's beautifully simple too because for those that have never experienced this level of play or patron play oh god i sound like them kyle <laughs> <laughs> but if for legitimately for players that have never gone there it sounds very intense but it's right. not, and and I think Axe really does a really good job, right? Of yeah. of sort of refining it down. Was that part of your yeah. conscious design effort, or is that part of something that's just evolved over the over the time, Alex? The earliest iteration was definitely more complex. Um, it actually went down to like a further tier of granularity. Um, and if you go back and you look at the very early Autoc forums, you can see some discussion of that. And so uh, in playtesting, we realized like that level of granularity, like we took it down to like the level of the manor rather than the level of like the baronial domain. Right. And um, we thought that's just that's just too granular. Um, it does, you know, like who cares if you have a, a pastor that can pay for your war horse, <laughs> right? So, um, so we dialed it up by one notch and that really made the difference in terms of the playability. But the, the other thing that you've done is just sort of in, I guess your your designer narrative that flows throughout the book is you've left that open that if someone does want to get down to that level, they certainly can. Right. And yeah, the, the tools are there for sure. For sure. Um, but you know, what, what I try and do is um, do the hard work on the back end, present it in the book in a way that you can easily, you know, put it into your campaign without having to think too hard about it. And then after that, I'll introduce kind of the back end itself and say, and if you really want to tinker, here's how it all fits right. together. No, no so. I, I think it is just a wonderful center. It, it, it's the happy ground that encompasses all of those areas. And, you know, it's very attractive for players, like I said, that have never gone to that level of play or for players that are steeped in that level of play. Uh, and that sort of brings me <laughs> to the next point. Kyle, your best friends. Oh, no. Oh, uh, okay. yeah. And, and, and yeah, Alex, okay. I don't want you to feel like I'm blindsiding you, but there is a specific subgroup, and we know who they are, the Bro SR, that really has become a big champion of your system for good or for bad, right? I, I see it as kind of a double-edged sword because along with them comes some other baggage and some other stuff that we're not going to get into. It's just not really attractive if we're looking at bringing in more mainstream folks. Mm -hmm. um, they've really waved your banner and have planted it firmly in front of them. Uh, how does that... <laughs> you're laughing, Kyle, but you know I, I think of it from the business end of this too we want to sell books and it's great because right. the bros are going to buy books but right. are the bros also going to turn off people from buying books so it, it's it's an interesting and very fine line that you're walking um do you have any and you can you can refrain <laughs> from answering this too <laughs> but do you have a perspective in bringing in these very visceral and rabid fan bases that aren't always the most palatable for the rest of the world. And the fact that they're, they're waving, like I, I look at a, your media tour that you're doing now. And I look at the folks that are sort of screaming about how wonderful this is. And I'm like, Oh, that guy ain't ever coming to my table. <laughs> Does that concern right. you or. I mean, so I, I, I myself have been uh, a canceled person. I've on I've been on the the back end of blocks and um, people being really nasty to me on the internet. And That's so, why you're here. Welcome, right? <laughs> <laughs> Simpatico. <laughs> so you know, I take a, I, you know I take a view that um, as for myself, how I comport myself online, I try and be really earnest. I try and be really straightforward and and nice to everybody. Not everybody takes that approach. Um, some people find that 
by provoking really fierce arguments or trolling, they're able to gain traction and get their views presented. And you know, when I encounter that, whether it's to my benefit or my detriment, I just kind of try and think of it as, as these are people playing the game of social media. Um, these are people that are just using outrage or whatever it is that they're using in order to sort of push push their uh, their their efforts online. So I never I never really take it personally, uh, you know, unless someone goes out of their way to like say something <laughs> nasty about my wife or something like that. Um, you know, the the Broessar definitely thinks I'm the world's greatest uh, game designer, except for Gary Gaga. Yeah. You know, and uh, and like if I would summarize their view of me, it would be there's this old um, there was this old Austin Powers uh, commercial where they were like, if you see one movie this year, see Star Wars. If you see two movies, see Austin Powers. And so, like, I think the Bro SR is very much like if you play one RPG, play AD&D. But if you play two RPGs, you should also pick up Axe. <laughs> you know? And um and look, I'll, I'll I'll take it. I'm happy to I'm happy to walk in Gygax's shadow. He's a great man. He's a giant of game design. Um, you know, I'm I'm honored to be put in that company. In terms of like turning off other people, it's hard to say. Um, I think you know I think I've probably done more reputational damage to myself than they ever have. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, he he who's in a glass house ain't throwing stones on that regard. So. Um, uh, I have a bucket of rocks, though. <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I'm frankly, you know, I'm frankly happy to have some rabid fans, and I like interacting with those guys. Um, you know, they're they're they behave very differently in the Autark Discord than they do on Twitter. Like a lot of those guys hang out there, and you would never even realize that, you know, there's these tremendous flame wars happening on Twitter. Like everybody's just chill and friendly. <laughs> and, and don't so. get me wrong, I think that an overwhelming majority of that segment isn't what the segment is presenting i think it is a very small group with very loud voices that bring a lot of right. that negative stigma in um kyle i know you have thoughts here i don't know if i should say anything uh, <laughs> we're all friends here um i suppose there's a certain amount of truth to uh playing the social media mmo that everybody seems to be doing. I'm, I'm sometimes guilty of it myself. Um, but to piggyback off of what Alexander said about bringing people's wives into conversations and stuff that has happened to me by that group <laughs> on more than one occasion. So in my personal opinion, and I'm not speaking for anybody else here, just me, they're a bunch of assholes. <laughs> now, as somebody who doesn't play the social media MMO. I right, mean, Alex, I'm going to give you some background here. Bert is what we call the the silent majority of gamers, right? Right, right. Um, he is happy to play and play anything that gets thrown at him, and he's agnostic and blind to all of these things that are, that are going on. It's funny because in the OSR and the OSR-adjacent community now, People are referring to that type of player sometimes as a Bert. So Bert, oh, is, <laughs> that's awesome. Bert has, has left his mark, but it, I just wanted to set that up because Bert has no Twitter, has no social media, has no presence, doesn't know what's going on until we sit down and do this show every week. So right. yeah, you guys tell me what's going on, and I'm like. Well, that seems extreme. Why? Now, now <laughs> table for Alex to know where Bert's point okay. of reference is. Go Got ahead, it. Bert. I didn't mean to step on you. No, you're fine. As somebody who doesn't play the social media MMO, the thing I'm most curious about is what can you tell us about Axe 2? Ah. You've got your Kickstarter coming. Tell us about the new game. Look, it's almost like you perfectly segued. You know that I'm not there feeling we well, and you did a good job, Bert. You get a gold star. <laughs> there we go. Alex, tell us about Axe 2. All right, so Acts 2, it's a three-volume set. It's the revised rulebook, the Judge's Journal, and the Monster's Manual. Um, the revised rulebook takes the core rules from the first edition of Acts um, and expands them with a lot of material that was written in Axioms that improves the Strongholds of Domain system, it improves the Magic Research system, it improves the Mercantile system. Um, it then adds in um, uh, nautical warfare and navies, which is a, a, a new entry for Axe. Um, it adds in more front-end rules for spelunking, rappelling, climbing, so that you can have you know sort of vertical challenge-oriented dungeons and, and make the environment more of a hazard. Um, it adds in rules for uh, 
weather and um, wilderness hazards and wilderness challenges like sinkholes and things like that. So in other words, I took the level of attention that I had previously given to just the, the high end and I turned that also to the low end now. So now we have a lot, lot more mechanics you can interact with. Um, then the uh, rulebook also really makes improvements to thieves. Um, people that have played the Axe First Edition know that fighters received a generous um, upgrade in their power in Axe because of their ability to get more damage as they leveled up and the ability to cleave each time they kill an enemy. And it, it sort of solved the, the linear fighter quadratic wizard problem. Um, but thieves <laughs> still felt kind of lackluster. And so I put a lot of work into, into making new mechanics that you know really let you fulfill that thief fantasy. They let you be Kujal the Clever or um, the Gray Mouser. And it's things like, for instance, we removed all the infravision from the demi-human races, and instead the thieves get shadowy senses, which lets them function in the dark. Because it was, you know, it was always kind of like, oh, so my character's really good at hiding, but everyone else has thermal vision. Like, that's, <laughs> <laughs> why am I bothering? Like, he has, you know, he's wearing night vision goggles. This is dumb. So, you know, we we, we changed that up. Um, we uh, we added rules for hastily versus methodically dealing with traps and searching and things. So that while you're moving at exploration speed, you could be constantly hastily searching for traps and the GM is checking on the back end. And then if you come to a suspicious area or you're really worried about a particular obstacle, then you can switch into methodical. You take a turn, your chances of success are much better and you can try again if you fail. And so it, 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 makes, the th um, it makes the thief um, a much more integrated part of the party because he doesn't, it isn't constantly like, well, do we really want to waste a turn on this and he's going to fail anyway? And, you know, et cetera. I, I so love that, that they can sort of zoom in on, on the, the specific target that they're looking at. Right. That's, right. that's spectacular. And you had me at naval battles. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a whole pirate campaign waiting to happen right there. Oh yeah, so I've got. Um, I, I I did a ton of research on um, the naval battles of antiquity. So I've got all the galleys modeled down from like your your single row monoreem all the way up to like the uh, octoreem eight row galleys. And I've got long ships, sailing ships. I've got those huge grain barges in Rome. Um, and uh, there's rules for wind direction, so you can configure out who has the who has the the weather gauge in the naval battle and um how it, how it affects your movement of course you've got and then i've even i even found out like there are these interesting ships called um uh 2.5 rowers there they were called um and they were pirate and anti-pirate vessels and they had the ability to, to raise and lower their mast really fast and so they could um use sailing speed to get really close to you and then switch over to galleys if you tried to maneuver around them and so they were really hard for people to avoid so like i modeled that um and uh, I think you could totally play Pirates of the Mediterranean now, and it would be good fun. It sounds it sounds like it's a blast. Now, if someone is migrating from Axe to Axe 2, what does that process look like for the DM and for the table? How, how does right. Axe 2, is Axe 2 just an overlay replacement, or do you want to step them into it? What What's your recommendation as this sure, goes sure. forward? Because I can see a lot of people pledging Axe 2 right now. Yeah, the um, the integration is actually really easy. Um, the only thing that makes it more complex than I originally had hoped is that I decided to take the game off of the open game license. So Axe First Edition was written under the OGL. Um, in January, uh, Wizards committed an act of chaotic, evil, perfidious <laughs> treachery. And at that point, I felt, uh, I felt it was not a wise uh, business stance to have my entire... Um, property relying on a license that they felt they could deauthorize at any time. Right. So because of that, I had to change some some of the terms. Right. So wisdom becomes will. Um, you know, a lot of the spells had to either get yanked or renamed. Um, the, some of the monsters, things like that. Now, the key is that all of those spells, all those monsters, were still built using the same tools. And so it's absolutely not a problem. If if like, let's say you have an existing campaign and your character has some spells from the first edition, it's totally fine. Like you can just keep using those spells. Uh, you know, Wizards of the Coast is not going to hunt you down and <laughs> say that you're in trouble. Um, but you know, just for my professional purposes, I, I don't, I don't use them. Um, and then the only, uh, the thieves obviously get upgraded. So that would probably be the biggest change you need to make. And then the only other real change that you need to make at like the player facing level is that all of the, um, the player character classes get 
uh, a bonus general proficiency to rec to represent sort of their professional aptitudes. Um, uh, what what had happened was when I built the proficiency system, the intent was to model what specialists could do and let and let. So if you wanted your fighter to also be a blacksmith, you could do that, right? Like. It, um, but what happened was I, I kind of comprehensively ended up modeling everything. And so then I modeled things like, oh, well, what if I had training in college at a seminary for theology? But then clerics were like, well, it's kind of lame that I don't have that because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a ninth level cleric. I don't you know, and should I have to spend a proficiency slot to learn what I should already know? So I just kind of fixed that problem. You know, it's just a, it was like a little okay. annoying skill tax. So it sounds like the folks that are already playing it, it's going to be re relatively seamless. This... Oh yeah, I mean we've been we've been doing playtests. Uh, the people on my Patreon have had access to the game for about six months, um, and like some of them are using it all. Some are just pulling in elements they like, um, and no problems at all. You know, I'm personally running Axe Two using my Axe One modules, no problem at all. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. What about the folks that are Berts that have never <laughs> heard of Axe? What's your sell for them to give it a shot? So. I would say that it's a game in the tradition of uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons um, or Mold Bay Cook Dungeons and Dragons um, that resolves some of the uh, lingering problems that those games had with fighter balance and thief balance, um, expands the menu of options for gameplay more broadly, and then also goes deeper in terms of what it allows you to do in a campaign. And... Um, I, you know, the, uh, for instance, as, as an example, Advanced Dungeons Dragons had chainmail and it had battle system, and that was their mass combat rules. But if you read those rules, they were at one to 10 scale, which means you could do a fight with 200 guys. Maybe if you had a lot of miniatures, you could do a fight with a thousand guys, but you were never going to be able to fight the Battle of Gagamala where Alexander and Darius confront each other. In Axe, you can fight the Battle of Gagamala and you can fight it in the theater of mind using the abstract combat rules or you can fight it as a tabletop war game using the Domains at War supplement. And whichever you choose, your character integrates seamlessly, like his charisma affects his ability to lead troops in battle. You know, his intelligence affects his strategic ability. And it, it you know, his, his stance as a high level fighter increases his morale modifier for his troops. And the combat mechanics are all scaled up properly so that you can plug your ninth level fighter right into the mass combat system and watch as he takes out a company of troops, because if you fought it out in one-on-one -on -one scale, he could take out a company of troops and there's no other game that does that. Um, so there you go, Bert, you sold. I am. I would definitely <laughs> play an Axe campaign tomorrow. Um, with the Kickstarter, do you have any idea about the backer levels or what the, what people can expect to pay? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, so I could actually pull those up on my little secret um, Kickstarter page. Mm -hmm, super secret. Although I don't think it's that super secret. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. Um, and so, all right. So the um, the first reward tier is Adventurer, which is a $50 tier. And you get the Axe 2 Revised Rulebook, the Axe 2 Judges Journal, and the Axe 2 Monsters Manual in PDF. Um, and so that's about 1,500 pages worth of material. Okay. Um, then you get to Conqueror. So that level, you get the revised rulebook in hardcover, and then you get the uh, PDF. At King, you get the revised rulebook um, in hardcover, and you get all three PDFs. That's $100. Um, at Emperor, you get the revised rulebook and the Judge's Journal in hardcover, all three PDFs. Then at Demigod, you get all three books in hardcover and all three books in PDF, and that's $175. So, you know... Uh, it, it basically, for $175, bucks, you get three 500-page hardcover stitched binding books, you know, that are going to be really beautifully produced with full color interiors. I was so going to say that's, that's super reasonable considering I, I think people don't realize how much content there is in acts. So uh -huh. yeah, uh, that's, that's awesome. Uh, gentlemen, any last thoughts for Alex before we let him go and continue his play tests and shill tour extravaganza? <laughs> Please. <laughs> Promotional tour. Promotional please. tour. <laughs> we, shill is a good word. We love it. We use it all the time on inappropriate characters. So. Well, there we go. <laughs> I did have one question. Uh, one of the things in, to me when I originally saw uh, the first edition of Axe was the artwork. The artwork stands out tremendously. So the artwork on uh, Axe 2, you have the same cadre of artists uh, doing that work. Yeah. 
So the main artist on the project is going to be Michael Siragos, who I think of as kind of the modern day Frank Frazetta. And, um, you know, he does these really lush sword and sorcery type illustrations, full color. Yeah. You can see his work. Um, we decided to go for full color interior, knock on wood. Um, you know, obviously, if the game doesn't fund, we won't do that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, I, Michael is a, Michael's a great talent. And, you know, depending on the scale, we might end up having to recruit some other artists. The fellow who did the very first book, Ryan Browning, um, really talented artist, he decided to leave the um, fantasy art community entirely. He moved to Dubai and became like an art teacher for wealthy sheiks. Uh, oh, wow. I'll bet you it paid better. <laughs> uh, you know, I imagine he did, in fact, get paid much better than he did doing RPG illustration. Yes, yes. Well, I've told Ryan before, I don't know if Bert knows this, in, in a secret confession time, I've never backed a Kickstarter before. I might be backing this one because I absolutely love the system. If you, wow. if you back only one Kickstarter. <laughs> no, that's it. Kyle, Kyle yeah. has never done it. So uh, stay tuned. We'll find out. He'll, he'll share on an upcoming episode or maybe on the speakeasy. <laughs> You'll be able to, be awesome. to, to let us know that your Kickstarter cherry has been broken. Well, everybody, thanks. Alexander McCreese, game designer extraordinaire, creator of Axe, you got to check out the Kickstarter for Axe 2, October 24th. When the link comes, we'll blast it out on our Twitter, too, to help spread the word and get it everywhere we can. Alex, thanks for stopping by. It was really hey, a, good, a good talk, and hopefully we didn't scare you off too much. <laughs> no, no, all good. What a great visit from Alex McCreese, uh, man. Axe, it sounds so incredibly niche, but it really can fit in it any AD&D table, and I think that that is the beauty of it. One of the things that I really like about it is that it's very plug-and-play. You can take elements from Axe, and because it's an OSR game, you can plug it into, into almost any other OSR game. So you don't have to play the entire rules if you want. If you just want to use the economic system, or you want to use the mass battle system, or you want to you know, use the uh, magic research and, and experimentation system, you can do that. Beauty of the OSR, right? That's yeah. that's really the OSR coming true and true, which is why it's so curious that the bros who despise the OSR are so on board with it. But yeah. I don't pretend to understand them. I also try to understand our which is cinnamander as you know if you are a longtime listener to the show you know that sin locked everything up through november <sighs> sin did it again the remainder of 2013 is cinnamanders <laughs> so the, uh, the remainder of 2013 ryan Fuck. <laughs> Sin, the remainder of 10 years ago? Sin, you just went back in time. We hit 88 miles per hour on this bitch. Uh, <laughs> regardless, you need to follow him at Cinnamander. That's C-Y-N-N-A-M-A-N-D-E-R on the Twitter machine, now known as X. Sin ponied up eight bucks and is our checkmark hero. I, I guess if you send us eight bucks, I don't think he'll mind sharing the spotlight with you, so... I don't know what the hell I'm going to do the next time someone gives us eight bucks. I can't expect you to, to hold off till January. I guess we'll just have co. Check mark heroes. Because it's plural. <laughs> co check mark heroes. Co check mark heroes. Um, while we are giving Sim his shout out, we want to remind you. That Nerd Cognito is now on YouTube, whether I like it or not. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we need you desperately to go to our YouTube channel. It's a baby. It's a baby. And give us a subscribe and ring the bell and do all of those sorts of things. And you can join in the fun on the Saturday Speakeasy. Kyle, this Saturday Speakeasy, it's tremendous. It was tremendous. I, I sounded like hell, but I had a really good time uh, on, on the speak this week. And we're building up quite an interesting group of friends that yeah. are part, you know, that's part of the speakeasy is interacting with everybody that's there. Um, so you should join that band of merry men uh, by following us on YouTube slash at nerd cognito. 
Uh, while you're following and subscribing and doing those sorts of things, also go to the podcast provider of your choice and toss us a subscription there to make sure that you hear this, the big show, every single week. It will be delivered directly to your device. So it could be Spotify, it could be Apple, it could be Spreaker, it could be iHeartRadio, it doesn't matter. Just hit the subscribe button, and then you don't have to worry about chasing us down for links. Oh, that's what I got this week. Um, Boys, what am I missing? I'll take that silence as a nothing. (laughs) That's okay. I'm going to go rest my voice and tuck myself into bed and hope that Bert brings me some sort of delicious warm food to nurse me through this time. Did you know that, Bert? You're my nurse, but you don't have to put on the outfit. Thank God. <laughs> Slutty seven, <laughs> prudish nine. <laughs> Just remember that. Oh, oh. <laughs> My name is Ryan David. Thank you for tuning in and listening. I was joined by Bert and Kyle, as always, and we will talk at you next week. Be safe out there, everybody. Vagina, vagina, vagina. It's a triple. <laughs>